So Money, episode 873, Lindsay Pollack, millennial expert and author of The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. My dad started an SAT prep business when I was around 12 or 13 years old. Um, And I remember he went from driving a Toyota Tercel to a BMW. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. That was Lindsay Pollack, our guest today, who is a leading expert on the millennial generation and today's multi-generational workplace. She's often called a translator. She advises organizations and individuals on how to thrive in today's unprecedented five-generation workforce. I didn't realize this. So people are working longer. And years ago, we thought by now that... uh, Uh, you know, the baby boomers would all be retired, but many of them are still at it and working in some cases, starting their own businesses. And so we have workplaces now with five generations in the cafeteria. That will make for an interesting culture. And Lindsay's book discusses how companies can thrive with these different generations and how to find common ground. But you also just heard her talk about the financial transition she experienced growing up, her parents going from middle class to upper middle class and the perks that she experienced and the impact that had on her finances as an adult. Lindsay is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming the Boss, New Rules for the Next Generation of Leaders and Getting from College to Career, Your Essential Guide to Succeeding in the World. She has spoken at Facebook, LinkedIn, Yale, Harvard, Wharton, Stanford. She's been on the Today Show, the New York Times, CNN, NPR. And now I'm proud to say, so money. Here's Lindsay Pollack. Lindsay Pollock, welcome to So Money, my friend. I can't believe you haven't been on the show before, and I apologize for that, but I know that I've referenced you a few times on this show, and I think listeners are familiar with your work. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's truly a pleasure to finally be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you for making the time, and congratulations on the launch of your latest book. It's called The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace. You've really dedicated your career to understanding... Uh, the workplace and, and, and as humans, how we function in the workplace. And in this book, it's really about looking at the different generations. And what I thought was interesting and not want, something that I really have been hearing about is that we are on the precipice of uh, a time in our history, in our workplace history, where all the generations are going to be working together. That's, pretty, That's right. Is that a good thing or is that what, what <laughs> how, should we brace ourselves? 
<laughs> you might want to brace yourself, but my perspective is that it's a very good thing if you are mindful and proactive about it. So just to give you a little context, when I started my business about 17 years ago as a college campus speaker, there were three generations in the workplace. I'm a Gen Xer, there were baby boomers, and there were traditionalists or the GI generation. And I was coaching and mentoring and speaking to college students um, who were really my fellow Gen Xers at that time. And then around 2008, the millennials roared onto the scene and I studied them for about 10 years. And now we have the millennials and now the generation Z born Mm -hmm. 97 and later. And what's I found really interesting having spent my whole career studying the entry level and younger end is that baby boomers and traditionalists are now working many years or decades later than they were Mm -hmm. before. So it's a stretch on both ends of the age spectrum. Right. I think 10 years ago, there was a prediction that there would be this drop off of baby boomers in the workplace around now or in in short time, in short order, though you're right, we're living longer, we're not able to retire because of financial um, difficulties. So we have to keep earning that money. And frankly, I mean, working, if you like what you're doing, it's not a bad way to exist. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, so much of the conversation is about the 2008 financial crisis, the Great Recession. People have to work longer, which is true. But they also tell me that they want to work longer. So I think for a lot of people, it's a necessity. But for many, it's also a choice. Now, the remix is really about what you describe as a formula, which is mixing the old and the new in the workplace to create positive um, strategies and to create a positive work environment. What from the old way that we work is worth hanging on to? And what are some of the new developments that are really exciting and and, uh, perhaps where companies should be focusing? So I love that question because you're right. I named it the remix because like a remix song, it's a classic mixed with modern elements. And nobody's saying the classic is wrong or bad or should retire and go away. And nobody's saying the new is better. It's about the combination being powerful. And a lot of DJs have told me once I picked the title that the secret to getting people on a dance floor at a wedding or a party is to play a remix because the older people feel included and comfortable and happy to dance and the younger people do too. And that's kind of the the vision I have for this multi-generational workplace is not that we do this sort of 180, which I think a lot of people are worried that we might do, which is, oh, millennials are here. It's a digital economy. Everything's being automated. Take everything that used to work in the workplace and throw it away and just do the new stuff. That's not good advice. We need to be really mindful of looking at everything we do in the workplace from recruiting to retention to communication to benefits to financials and say, what are we doing because we've always done it and it actually works really well and we should keep it? What are we doing that we've always done that it's time to get rid of? And what do we need to add to our toolkit because we now have this digital economy and automation and all the modern elements. So it's really taking a fresh look at everything and figuring out not, you know, what would the boomer do or what would the millennial do, but what is the best option from all of these amazing differences and choices and perspectives that we have. So what are some common denominators, given that you've got now Gen Z, millennials, all the way up to baby boomers working in potentially in the same environment as an employer? Uh, what 
are some practices that you or benefits or systems you can put in place that everybody would dig? Because I think that's hard. I think that's really hard to find that common ground, but you've obviously done the research. So tell us, what, what should we do? It is incredibly hard and you have to be really strong at communicating about it. And so there are two examples that come to mind. One is on how to manage people. And I think we're all human beings and good managers of people are good managers of any generation. And my preferred method of managing in the multi-generational workplace is really to take a coaching approach as opposed to command and control or dictatorial, my way or the highway. It really is most valuable with all generations to get to know each employee and coach them, develop them, mentor and train them. I think millennials demand it because they are used to a lot more attention. They're used to on-demand learning on places like YouTube. But other generations have always appreciated bosses who mentored and coached and developed them. We just sort of got used to not always having that. So the method of caring about your employees and mentoring and training them and thinking about their development is something that crosses generations, whether you do that in person, face to face, or whether you do that on Skype or on Slack is sort of the modern element. So the action of managing cautiously and in a coaching way is classic, Mm -hmm. but the places you do it might be different. And the other example is when it comes to benefits, something that I write about in the book is life planning accounts, which I'm sure you've Mm -hmm. talked about on your show, which is every individual has different financial needs, has different insurance needs, has different preferences, uh, lifestyles. So rather than saying everybody gets a 401k or everybody gets um, student loan repayment or everybody gets um, a certain gym benefit or travel insurance or pet insurance, some companies are moving to towards a number of points or an amount of money to say, here are the options that you have. You can make the choices for your life right now of where you want to allocate those benefits. That is so smart. Like almost giving an a la carte benefits system and then you have a budget from the company to go and take advantage of these services based on what your life currently needs. And then in five years and two years, it changes and you can shift that. That's brilliant. That's exactly right. And it came out of a lot of companies with 401ks that young people were not putting money into. And they said, well, why aren't you putting money in? You must not care about your personal finances. You must be entitled. You must not be responsible. You don't know how to adult. And the young people said, (laughs) I would be thrilled to put money into my 401k. I need to pay off my student loans first. I don't know how to do both. And so I think it's about giving the choices, but also the education around personal finance and health and all the different issues that come up with benefits to make, to not just give people the choices, but also educate them about how to make those choices responsibly. So where are the best places to work? Um, How can you, as someone who is about to maybe accept a job offer or looking to switch jobs, how do you assess a company based on some of these criteria? Some of these things you may not know until you go there and experience the culture, but what are some telltale signs that a company is implementing this kind of, you know, this remix, so to speak, in a positive way? Well, I think diversity and inclusion are one of the key factors that, to me, were commonalities between the companies that I most admired. So a real commitment from the very top to diversity and inclusion. Often we think of that in terms of gender and race or ethnicity or sexuality. That includes age. So companies that are age agnostic in their advertising, for instance, advertising in maybe AARP as well as in college newspapers, um, organizations 
organizations that have um, very multi-generational employee resource groups, I thought were very appealing, where there were a lot of opportunities to network internally across generations and companies that are really committed to education and training at all levels. So I found a lot of companies that had really strong training and development for their junior employees. And then it sort of fell off over the years. And I think the companies that I most admire um, that I interviewed and that people were talking about desiring to work for are the ones that really think of you um, over the course of your career. Maybe you won't stay there forever, but at any entry point of your career, your development is a priority to the company. Um, Notice I did not talk about ping pong tables. I did not talk about (laughs) nap pods or free lunches. Those things are cool. But what people want is to know that their company is going to develop them um, and cares about them as an individual. But there's also the... There's also something else happening, which is that people aren't staying at companies for very long. And is that so it's like a chicken and egg? Is it that they are just are they just looking for the next best thing constantly employees or are employers not providing them with that next best thing? Because we've heard about, you know, people having on average seven different career changes or job changes rather in their lifetime. And I think for the younger generation, that's kind of going up through the startup um, environment that's, you know, my husband is a software developer. He works a lot for startups. He's had multiple jobs in the last 10 years, whereas his dad had one job for many, many, many years. And so, um, what do you think it is about, um, the current generation, I guess the younger generation, the Gen Yers, what are they looking for? Cause they are, they do care about matriculation, but not necessarily at one place. So this was one of the most interesting findings. Um, I think what we're dancing around is the word loyalty, right? Are you going to be loyal to a company? Or are they going to be loyal to you? Um, and there was a, a study that asked employers, do you think millennials are loyal? And about 1% of HR professionals and employers said, yeah, millennials are loyal. And something like 85 or 90% of millennials said they were loyal. So there was this huge disconnect. And what I think the disconnect is, is how we're defining loyalty and what our expectations are for how long someone might stay at an organization. So I had a similar experience. You know, my dad, same company, you know, same employer's whole career. My husband, multiple jobs. Many of our friends, same thing. What a lot of younger people tell me is, you know, I would love to work at a company for a long time, but I saw my parents get laid off. I saw my older sister or brother get laid off. I saw what happened with Lehman Brothers and Enron and all these companies in in journalism and media that are going out of business. I don't have any belief that a company is going to keep me employed for life. So I'm just being cautious in growing my career, growing my training, my credentials so that I can move around if I need to. What that means is there is a disconnect and I I hear it and I see it where companies say, so I'm going to provide all this training and mentoring and coaching and benefits and all these things you say I have to do to have multi-generational employees and people are going to leave anyway? And the answer is that they might, because we just live in a time where a lot of people are afraid that if they stay at one company for too long, they won't be marketable Mm -hmm. at some point in the future where that goes away. So one of the phrases that I heard um, from a few people that I liked is about lifelong colleagues um, or lifelong relationships so that you might not work at the same company with the same uh, person, but you might 
find some of the colleagues that you worked with at various jobs along your path in the future. I don't think we know yet exactly what that employment model will look like in the future. I have some ideas, but we know it's not going to be that past of working at one company your whole career. So it is really complicated and really challenging on both sides for the company and the individual to figure out what that model is going to be. Kind of a long answer, but I think that is sort of the issue of our modern workplace is what is it going to look like in 20, 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. because it is not going to look like what it did in the past. Well, that just means you'll have a lot more work ahead of you. So <laughs> your, your job is secure. Uh, only working for ourselves are we ever secure, I guess, is, is sometimes the well, answer. I mean, is nothing is guaranteed, but I mean, I, I would like to talk about your career journey, you know, and I think that in some ways, um, I admire so much what you've designed. Really, you've um, created your own niche. You've become an expert in a field, a go-to person in a much-needed field, and really have carved and identified this uh, marketplace for yourself and and just a content machine. On top <laughs> of that, um, you're just a boss. And I believe you're a parent too, right? You're. I am. I have a seven-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Sorry, seven-and-three-quarter. Seven-and-three. Very important. Every yes. month counts. And so would love to learn, let's go back in time a little bit, maybe shift a little bit to some of the so many questions. When you were growing up, how was your education around money? You know, this is actually, this is airing in financial literacy month in April. And so with our partner, Chase, uh, we're asking gas, what was the way that you learned about money? So I have an interesting background. My dad was a teacher. He's retired now. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She had taught before I was born and then stayed home. And we lived very modestly. I'm the oldest of three children. I grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut. Um, and I don't remember uh, feeling like we didn't have enough, but we certainly were not wealthy. My dad started an SAT prep business when I was around 12 or 13 years old. Um, And I remember he went from driving a Toyota Tercel to a BMW. (laughs) And what I remember is that suddenly we were able to go on vacations uh, that were a little bit fancier. Um, You know, we were able to go shopping a little bit more. The presents got a little bit bigger. And what I find really interesting um, is that I saw my dad start a business. My mom subsequently started her own business as well. And on entrepreneurship, doing something on your own was very much presented as a way towards more financial security. Um, I know my mom used to listen to, um, you know, financial tapes and how to start a business and Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and all those kind of gurus in the car. So I think they must have seeped in, Mm. but it was a very strong transition. And really interestingly, my younger brother and sister came of age more in the uh, years where my dad had his own business and, and they grew up with a very different sense of money. I had seen it before and after. And I think that really affected me to see both sides of um, that experience. So you witnessed a lot. Were there conversations around money as well? I don't remember any conversations about money. I remember having a conversation with my brother. I'm the oldest, I'm female, my brother and then a younger sister. um, And we were talking about investments or investing or savings. And my brother knew all this stuff about stocks. And I said, how did you know that? And he said, dad used to tell me about his stocks. 
And I said, I never had that conversation. And he said, well, how did you learn how to put on mascara? (laughs) And I said, I guess mom must have taught me. And so it was this really interesting feeling that maybe my brother was having conversations with my dad that he wasn't having with me. That's if you're listening, we need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not unusual. I just don't, and it's not intentional. It's not like your, our dads are saying, or, you know, we don't want our daughters to have this information, but maybe it's like a bonding experience. Just, money has for, uh, for so long been considered to be a man's domain, period. A boys club thing, you know? Did you ever become really curious about money? Do you remember a moment in your life where you were like, I want to get this. I want to understand this. I want to move forward. No. I will tell you when I became serious about money, <laughs> and this is my big confession, Farnoosh. Um, I uh, was very much supported by my parents. I'm very fortunate. Um, I won a, a scholarship to college. I went to graduate school. Um, very fortunate not to have debt. I worked for a year and a half at a startup called workingwoman.com, the old working woman magazine. Um, and I had a salary and benefits. Didn't think much about it. That company went out of business and I uh, was job hunting but was freelance writing, writing a blog, starting to get my speaking career off the ground. Um, And I had to file my taxes for the first time with 1099s instead of a Schedule C. And I did not know that I was supposed to save quarterly taxes. And how do you know? You don't know until you know. And I had a very, very unpleasant, upsetting and (laughs) shocking meeting with an accountant. And I thought, I never want to feel this way again, that I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my money. And that's when I started to get serious. That was probably about 2003, 2004. Nothing like a big sticker shock from the IRS to put Absolutely. Your, but put that your financial feeling, life in order. Yeah, it was that feeling that I didn't know about my own money. Um, and I didn't know something that other people knew. I never wanted to have that feeling again. What would you say was your biggest financial win, your so money moment? My biggest financial win was the first time I negotiated for a speaking fee that was a number I was afraid to say. (laughs) And this is probably more recently than I want to admit. Um, But I kept it very safe for many, many years with my speaking fees. Um, And I knew, um, actually, this is an interesting story. I had a a woman pull me aside once at a speech and she said, "Um, there's something I want to tell you. Are you open to some feedback? And I assumed it was about my speech or my content. I said, yes, I was super nervous. And she said, "Um, we interviewed and auditioned three speakers for this spot. You were by far the best and half as much as the other speakers in your pricing. And the other two were men. Oh, oh my gosh. She said, she said, I recommend that you double your prices. And after that, The next inquiry that came in, I doubled my speaking fee and the person said yes. And that was a huge financial moment. But that was like a dagger to the heart when she said that. Because as a speaker, as you know, in our business, you don't really know what the going rates are. They're very, very different. And that was just a huge moment. And I'm forever grateful to that woman for for saying that. That is such, you know, yes, a dagger to the heart, but also so fantastic that she told you and so appreciate. We need more of that. We need more men and women being transparent. And in that case, you know, it was, um, she was giving you a little bit of a behind the scenes and that should happen more often. I know that it's so true. It's, 
Oh, well, I'm glad you're getting what you're, what you're worth now. There's not like Thank a glass door.com for speaking gigs. You're right. Like <laughs> when you, you know, there used to be a site for writers. Yeah. Uh, for- the American Society of Journalists and Authors had a site called Whisper where you could tell people how much you got paid per word. And I used to read that religiously because you don't know until you know. And that was so valuable. So I'm not sure I'm comfortable saying my numbers to anyone in the world, but if another speaker wants to call me and talk numbers, I'm always happy to do that because I think I think we have to. And I am forever grateful for the person who did that to me. Listen, you need to make a website. Okay. I have a business idea. <laughs> Let's do Someone it. who's listening, can you make this? I think you should do it, Lindsay, though, because it's so in your wheelhouse and I can help. But like a website that is dedicated to solopreneurs, freelancers, and then it's categorized by industry. And then that's kind of like the whisper that you talked about for writers, but for all sorts of projects. Like what if I'm doing a speech? What if I'm doing, what if I'm doing consulting work for a financial institution? And, you know, obviously it's all going to have to be dependent on the scope of work and, you know, whatever. But I just think that having access to something like that, I would read that for pleasure. Like I would just, (laughs) I just want to know how much people are getting paid. Um, Kind of like how I just like go on real estate websites and browse at houses. This would be fun for me. So um, count me in as a consumer. But I think that there is no shortage of transparency when it comes to pay uh, for reasons like this. Now you're making what you're worth. Did you ever think that you could make that much money? Like, did you know that was what you were worth? Or you just afraid to ask? I didn't know. Well, first of all, when I started 17 years ago, I didn't know that speakers made money. (laughs) I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, I actually started, um, I was on a rotary scholarship to graduate school, like local rotary clubs. And um, I started speaking at rotary clubs, which they don't pay. It's for the exposure and and to support the organization. And it was a great start. Uh, It got me a lot of experience. And it was a Rotarian who said, can you come speak to my daughter's high school? We can pay you $250. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, someone's going to pay me to talk. (laughs) And that's amazing. Um, And that was, that was the very beginning. So um, this is an industry that I think is really um, confusing to a lot of people where I'm very hopeful and where I think there's a lot of generational change is I think that millennials for the most part, not every millennial is the same, but the comfort with talking about money, the comfort with salary transparency, I speak to many banks and law firms where the young millennial employees will pass around spreadsheets of who got what bonus. And they are totally transparent about it. And the goal is a little bit competitive or possibly a lot competitive, but also we're in this together. Let's support each other with this information. And I can't imagine seeing that 15 or 20 years ago in my career. No, I love it. I love the progress we're seeing on that front. Um, All right, Lindsay, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Okay. Uh, This is just finish the sentence. First thing that comes to mind. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is buy an apartment in Manhattan. I have been renting for too long. Oh yeah, girl, you need to own. That's that's (laughs) happening this year. Put it on your uh, real estate sites. I'm right there with you. Well, it's actually a pretty good year to buy. I think prices are coming down. I don't know what uh, saving up for. That's our number one financial goal right now. Awesome. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Childcare, having a an extraordinary babysitter for my daughter who we love and trust is the best best money I pay every month. It's an investment. I can it's an investment and it's and, and I credit my husband with this, 
who else would I want to pay more, you know, giving her Metro cards and extra money for snacks. I want this person to be happy and healthy. Um, and it just makes a huge difference to my life and my daughter's life. And it's where I want to invest. How about this? When I donate, I like to give to blank because organizations that support women and children and, um, gun control issues. And last but not least, I'm Lindsay Pollock. I'm so money because I'm so money because I am a Gen Xer and we are the least recognized generation and we need to get out there and speak up for ourselves. What happened? All of the <laughs> 90s movies were about y'all and then nothing. You know, I think about this a lot more than other people. Um, I am a like died in the wall, right in the middle Gen Xer born in 1974. And I think that is why I'm so interested and have dedicated my career to generational study, because we are in this weird place where we were the the slacker generation, the baby bust after the huge baby boom. And we thought someday it would be our turn to dominate culture and business. And then the millennials came along and completely zoomed past us. And Gen Xers are caught in the middle. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about how do we thrive in that spot? Because we are never ever going to be the biggest generation. We just aren't. And we are never going to dominate the culture and the business discussions um, and the financial institutions. Some have called Gen Xers the Prince Charles of the generations. Forgive me to my, my <laughs> British friends, but the queen has been going forever. She's not going anywhere. And William and Kate are on their oh, way up. Yeah. So never going to have his moment. And that's kind of where we are. And so I thought about how do you really thrive in that situation? And where I think Xers have a unique talent, it's that we have had to be translators, we have had to be the bridge, we've had to be the glue between the generations. And so I think the fact that I wrote this book on, you know, multi-generational success, the fact that my mission is to connect the generations, I think has sort of been my coping mechanism for being in a generation that was never going to be in charge. So I really feel this very strong sense of being in the middle um, and trying to bridge those gaps and translate among all the generations because we've really been outsiders for a very long time. Well, you're making some changes. I'm trying. I'm you trying. You are leading the charge. You are leading the charge. Lindsay Pollock, thank you so much. Your book, The Remix, comes out May, correct? May 7th. May 7th. Lucky 7. We'll be looking out for it, but I think you can all pre-order it. So head over to where all books are sold and check out Lindsay's book. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And I look forward to you becoming a homeowner in 2019. Oh, thank you, Farnoosh. I appreciate it. Great to be with you. To learn more about Lindsay, check out lindsaypollock.com. She's on Twitter at Lindsay Pollock. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. You can download the audio, the transcript, and also leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. And P.S., if you want to host Ask Farnoosh with me, a little sharing of the mic, sifting through people's questions together. I would love it. Please send me a note by clicking on Ask Farnoosh and letting me know that you'd like to co-host. You can also hop over to Instagram, follow me there, send me a direct message where you can ask me your questions, but also let me know that you know, you'd like to co-host and we'll take it from there. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. So money.